And welcome to episode 73 of the Retrospectives podcast, Star Wars Episode 1 Racer. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James Sterlings. James, in the title, I called it Star Wars Episode 1 Racer, but for the rest of this episode, I'm going to call it Star Wars Pod Racer, and I hope you don't disagree with me about that. You know, I owned this game as a kid, and when I chose this game, I was having trouble finding it online because I, I didn't even remember what it was called, to be honest. What a terrible name. Yeah, it, it doesn't roll off the tongue at all, whereas Pod Racer is perfect. And, and I looked it up. Apparently, it was called Star Wars Pod Racer in development, and then at some stage, they found that there was some kind of conflict with some old game. So they had to change the title to the awfully generic Episode 1 Racer. But that's okay. We're calling it Star Wars Pod Racer, or Pod Racer for short. So, James, you said you owned this game as a kid. Were you were you good at, good at this game as a kid? I know racing games. I was so bad at this game. This was like one like when I got my very first console for Christmas when I was 8 years old or something. I got three games um and they were Pokemon Stadium, 1080 Snowboarding and Star Wars Episode 1 Racer. And I played it a lot. I never finished um the harder tracks in the game ever as a kid. So it was very weird playing it again like 20 years later. Um, and then getting up to like new content for me, I found that very, very strange. Yeah, I had a similar experience where when I was playing this at after school care in bits and pieces, it seemed impossible. But this time around, now that I've been hardened by F-Zero GX, it was uh, not nearly the challenge it was that I when I first tackled it all those years ago. Was it your first racing game? Is, is this what got you into them? This probably was my fir- the first racing game I ever played, to be honest. And I have this distinct memory of my dad watching me play and him being like, this game's too fast. <laughs> I agree, James. The game is too fast. <laughs> so um, for, for those who've never listened to us before, James and I make up the Retrospectives podcast. Each and every fortnight, we play through classic games of the past to determine if they've truly stood the test of time and are worth your time to play today. This is not a nostalgia podcast. We're not here to reminisce on our memories about this game. We're here to review them and discuss them by today's standards. So we've both played it through, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, So for those who haven't heard of Star Wars Podracer, it's a high-speed racing game developed in-house by LucasArts and was first released in 1999 for Windows, which may be a surprise to some. I think... Myself and most others know it as a Nintendo 64 title, but it actually first released for Windows. Um, it released before the movie, actually, what? which is uh, even more surprising. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was a common thing back in the day. It happened with the Lord of the Rings games as well. So it saw a port to the Nintendo 64 like three weeks later. So it was basically ready at the same time. And that coincided with the release of the movie, which is maybe why it was more popular on the Nintendo 64. Um, in the game, you take control of a pod racer and you race your pod around tracks. So there's 25 tracks total. Um, there are three lots of seven, which are your normal courses of escalating difficulty. And there's finally a special circuit of four tracks, each of one becoming available as you complete the last course in each set of seven. 
Um, thank thankfully, there's no story, so we get to skip that. You just get into the game and start racing. Um, James, we should first talk a little bit about how we played these games because we played differently. How did you play Star Wars Pod Racer the past fortnight? Yeah, so I've got an actual N64 copy of the game from you know my childhood sitting around wow. here. So. Um, I did not play on that version. Um, I actually just emulated, honestly, because I wanted to see um, how nice it would look upscaled. Um, and I wanted to contrast that with your experience because you played the uh, the new Switch port, right? I did. I played the Nintendo Switch port. It released last year. So uh, it's, you know, gameplay and everything are the same. Um, but it, you know, it looks, looks a lot nicer. It's been upscaled. And also in our discussion before the show, James and I discovered another difference. Um, the Switch version has a lot more music, or rather, the music plays a lot more often than it does on the Nintendo 64 version, because James and I were having an argument about whether there was music frequently throughout the game or not, and it turns out that the Switch version has music almost all the time, and the Nintendo 64 version has it quite rarely. Yeah, uh, basically only during the intros to each race and on the final lap usually music kicks in otherwise it's just you know the sa- the sound effects playing over um the top of the race so yeah i was quite surprised um but it does make kind of sense it is a bit of a quiet game did did you have any technical issues with the nintendo 64 last um last fortnight when we did star fox there were areas which had slowdowns did you ever encounter anything like that or was it maintaining a steady fps no, nothing like that. It just played perfectly fine the whole time. Yeah, and so did the Switch version. So, I mean, if you want a slightly prettier experience um, and you like the music more, I guess go for the Switch version. But it looks like emulating it still provides a perfectly decent result. I'd imagine that the upscaled emulation looks very similar to the version that you played, to be honest. I doubt they did anything super special with the port. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's less a remake and more a update, I guess. But yeah. Yeah, whatever you pick your poison i think either experience you're going to be happy with um mm-hmm. yeah we should jump right into it james so so i think that the place that we should start is with the meta structure of star wars pod racer because even though it's very simple in terms of its presentation we don't have a story like we did in f0 oh i should mention sorry sorry to take us back a bit um you should listen to the F-Zero GX episode, uh, either before this or after this, because I haven't played a lot of racing games in my life, and I'm going to be comparing a lot of what this game does to F-Zero GX. It also is relevant that Star Wars Pod Racer is kind of an F-Zero clone, or if not a clone, at least heavily inspired by it. So it's a very useful reference point. So... You should you should listen to that episode in some in some way or fashion to better contextualize my point of view, I guess. I don't know if inspired by is the right word. Surely surely they're just like emulating the movie and it just happens to be very similar, right? Yeah, I, I guess it could all be a big coincidence. It just feels like how many high speed races are there? Yeah. Basically these two, right? Yeah. I mean it is true. When they made this game, they were basing it off snippets of movie footage that LucasArts gave them. So <laughs> it could just be that it's uh, an entirely, that it is a coincidence. But yeah, it, it just feels like a very relevant point of comparison. So uh, so now that's out of the way, um, 
basically the place we're going to start is with the meta structure of the game which is uh when you complete races uh you win credits and then you can spend those credits to upgrade your racer the more expensive components will upgrade various aspects of your racer more and the more you win the more you can afford expensive components so the components are things like that affect your top speed your acceleration your cooling which affects how much you can boost your rate of repair and your turn rate i think i'm missing one but that's uh, traction traction yeah that's the other one so you can upgrade your racer over time by winning credits what this means is that unlike a game like f-zero gx you don't have a racer that's consistent from start to finish and your ability to complete the race is entirely dependent on your abilities with that set racer as you proceed through the game your racer becomes more and more powerful and that is a large component of completing these tracks faster and faster so i'm going to throw it to you james how how did you feel about this upgrading system and do you think it's better or worse than having a structure where you just have to improve as a player in order to progress through the game. Yeah, I think this game has this kind of structure to it where if you're not very good, you're probably going to make multiple save files because um, the credits you get after races are based on a few factors. So you can choose the prize structure of the race before entering them. So you can have a more balanced prize structure where like third place will still get a decent chunk of the funds. Or like me, you can just set it to winner takes all and just restart the race until you get first place and take everything for yourself. Um, I think when I was a kid, I never did that very often because I found it very hard to win first place. So I'd always like scrape by on getting like thirds and seconds. And then there was like always a point in the game where I think what happened must have happened was that my progression curve wasn't keeping up with the rest of the races because I wasn't getting first very often. And so I would become eventually unable to beat a bunch of races. Um... I think um, there are a lot of benefits to this system. Like, I think the the main one is that as a very high-speed racer, starting the players off on a lower power level to begin with is kind of good for you to get used to, like, the controls and the speed at which this game places, right? And then you can, you know gradually speed them up and get you up to the you know the ultimate end goal of zooming around lightning speed because one of the problems you had with jumping straight into f-zero gx right was that it was just too much all in one go right that is true although i would say it was less about the the speed and more about the uh, probably the tightness of the turns you had to execute. Um, mechanically, mm. F0GX was very de- mechanically demanding. Is is how I'd phrase it. You couldn't you couldn't get away with just holding down the accelerator all the time. Yeah, I think turns are easier when you're going slower in this game in general. Um, when it gets super fast near the end, I found myself having to learn how to use all the tools mm. in order to turn better. Because you got a bunch, you got brake, drift, and um, you can turn your pod racer on the side. 
and we'll talk a bit more, more about that later um but yeah it was like it was kind of nice and so james i i think that i do agree with you that it's good to have a um ramping up of speed and difficulty overall because you don't want your game to be a brick wall when you first start playing but wouldn't it be better to do something more like mario kart does and have you know different speed cups where you have kind of like a more fixed challenge to overcome than this open-ended upgrade structure that can basically i guess make up for a player's inability to learn the mechanics because this is what i was essentially struggling with as a difference with f-zero gx if i couldn't finish a race my only recourse was to get better at that race in star wars i feel like you've got this mechanism of just upgrade the right part and then you're faster than your competitors and you can win the race without improving as a player i think that that can be a benefit to some people though right like some people that would make the game better uh so where where i've landed on this is that i think it's better for people new to racing games and i think that yeah if this is if instead of f0gx this was my first racing game I very much would have appreciated this kind of structure because it means that instead of just grinding um, on the anvil of progress endlessly, you've got other ways to actually get around it and continue progressing in the game. I think that on balance, I think what Mario Kart does, splitting it into cups so you have a difficulty progression, but still one that maintains challenge is better than what Star Wars Pod Racer does. I think that it gives a little bit too much control to the player to just make their pod racer twice as fast as their competitors and basically invalidate the challenge. Because I found coming first place in, you know, probably the entire first 14 courses fairly trivial. And I think a large part of that was just that I could just upgrade my pod racer to be faster than everyone else. And I'm not saying that this should be balls to the walls, you know, difficult. I'm just saying that if it was 50cc, 100cc, 150cc, you could have had a better escalation of challenge from race one to seven instead of, oh, my pod racer is overpowered and it doesn't really matter what I do. I'm going to win the race, like come into first place on my first attempt at this course. And it was only really in the final couple of races that I started feeling challenged in my progression. Yeah, so I thought about this a lot over the past couple of weeks because I basically agree with you that the game is quite easy overall. Um, and I'm not sure that this is like necessarily a bad thing um, because basically my experience with the game was that even though... I was coming first by like a lot in basically every race. The actual like act of racing through the tracks was fun enough for me that I didn't care. It could basically have been a time trial and I would have enjoyed it just as much. Um, something that I think is cool about, you know, this pod racer setting that builds so heavily on the movie um, is that the, the, the pod racers themselves have this sense of fragility to them that you don't necessarily have you know, to the same degree in other racing games. Like, these things are fucking death traps, right? They they explode at, like, the slightest touch. And while I think that's, like, super cool thematically and it made, you know, the high-speed gameplay feel fun and risky, um, I think 
if you make the game difficult and you have like some kind of rubber banding mechanism where you're constantly you know in the thick of other races i think it becomes very chaotic and you're very liable to just smash into everything constantly uh, i'm not i'm not a fan of rubber banding in this game by the way i i don't think that's um i'm not arguing for well, any not the solution banding. yeah i'm just saying i wonder if they made this game more difficult and then there was just too much colliding into other races and they turned it down um and they found that to be more fun i think you raise an interesting point about you know coming first being the winning of the game versus successfully racing around as if it was a time trial because i think single player races are kind of unique in that it's almost arbitrary what the other races are doing on the track. It may as well be a time trial the entire time. And I think yeah. that you truly get a sense of satisfaction from these games when you start achieving a mastery of the track. Like, firstly, it's like, can I get around it without crashing? Then you start, you know, boosting as much as you possibly can without crashing and so on and so forth. And the difference between, you know, Pod Racer and other races is that Podracer just lets you progress through the game and unlock all the tracks. And there is nothing stopping you going back and redoing the tracks that you enjoy. So maybe in a way, the difficulty is more about the intrinsic experience of just playing through these games than did I get the gold medal? Yeah, and to me that was, you know, I like I felt really good when I mastered certain turns that I initially struggled with, and that has nothing to do with whether I'm coming first or not. Um, and I'd say, you know, that kind of thing is where most of my enjoyment from this game came from. So I think Podracer is overall a pretty, you know, easy game if you're not a stupid kid like I was. Um, but I don't think that that, you know, necessarily detracts from the game. And I think that going back to the you know the stat upgrading and that kind of thing i think it's a good thing for newer players um and i think it probably doesn't matter too much if you're an experienced racing player yeah just make sure you set it a winner's takes all for like the first entire 14 courses and you'll be able to afford everything james you know i didn't even realize that was a thing i could do I only realized it on the third set of courses. I wondered if you'd. I wondered if you'd. Oh yeah! That Th out. Thanks yeah. for the heads up, James. <laughs> thanks for. Hey, we we're not allowed to talk. <laughs> you could have mentioned about it. the game, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I I didn't realize it was a thing until like halfway through the third set of tracks, and then I was like, for fuck's sake! <laughs> I was like, I could have had so much more money, but the fact that I got through, you know, I mean, I came in first place every every race, but uh, it shows that you don't need to, you know power game your way through the system to be successful uh but it would have made it even easier <laughs> um one of the um i watched a couple of speed runs the one of the main categories is no upgrades um mm. so it's definitely like you don't need it to beat the game um i think if you unlock the right pod races and use the right ones um you can definitely just beat it without them Okay, um, let's talk a little bit about track design, um, how the how the tracks yes. flow in Star Wars Pod Racer. Now, it's a little difficult to talk about every track at once because there's a decent variety here, but I think that there are a couple of things that distinguish Pod Racer, which I'm going to go over briefly, and then we'll have a discussion about it, James. Um, and you sure. can add any you know specific features that you like. So the first thing is, like F-Zero GX, these tracks tend to be, at least to start with, uh, quite wide. Um, it's not tiny, uh, tiny. It's not a lot of tiny spaces where only one 
racer can fit, although it does shrink down to that size sometimes. A lot of the time it's quite wide. There's a lot of room to maneuver on the track. It's also true that it sometimes gets extremely wide and the track kind of opens up into multiple paths for a period of time, often with a lot of, you know, different tiny, tiny uh, deviations in those paths you can get. There are a lot of shortcuts in this game, both marked shortcuts and some secret unmarked shortcuts. There's a map um, that you can see on your screen. Some of the shortcuts are marked and some of them are not, and they're just there for you to discover yourself. Um, and finally, I would say that a lot of these tracks, they vary in length, but they tend to be on the longer side. And when you start getting to the longest tracks, it can take like eight, eight to nine minutes to finish a three lap course. Um, any other major features to add, James? Um, the main thing that sticks out um, to me about Podracer's track design is that they lean very heavily into the Star Wars theme of setting um, the tracks on specific planets um, with very distinctive um, environment design and like set pieces based on, you know, Star Wars stuff, I guess. Mm. Um Compared to, so F-Zero GX did this thing where what it would do is it would have an environment and then in that environment it would put this like raised racetrack. Purpose-built like, racetrack, yeah. Yeah, walls on either side um, and you kind of just like raced on this floating track above the scenery. In Star Wars Pod Racer, you are racing in the scenery, right? Mm. Like it go you're going through mountain caves, into volcanoes, um, even through like weird uh, anti-grav tunnels and that kind of thing. The the track design like leans very hard into the planets that the races are set on. Uh, and they're very distinctive because of that. Like there's a one of the planets, you know, everything's in the sky and you're racing on these tracks floating, you know, above the clouds um, compared to something like going through the jungle. Um, I found the tracks in this game, like I still think they're really visually interesting and that all of the race tracks have like lots of cool points of interest. Um, I quite like the track design in this game. Um, yeah, I overall, I do as well. I think what you said about them being integrated into the natural environment is a great point. Um, you'll often be going through these city areas with stands, and then you'll kind of phase into the natural environment, the jungles and the volcanoes and the beaches, before after eventually returning back to the stands again. I think that uh, what I quite liked about them was that well, what I liked about most of them was that I think that there was enough variety in the different bits of the track. And I would say more variety than something like F-Zero in that yeah. you'd move from the jungle area to the volcano area to the beach area to the tunnels and back to the city. I do think certain tracks uh, were boring. Um, I didn't like the tracks at nighttime. And there was a sand planet uh, track that I thought was quite poor. And it's worth noting that there's probably like three to four variations or three to four different tracks on each planet. And a lot of the time they'll be reusing assets um, in order to construct those tracks. And I think that a couple of those did get a little bit samey, like uh, these big long tunnel segments with you know, that were just uninteresting to steer around. But when you start getting into the tier three and tier four tracks and they start filling them with, 
you know, all of these tight bends that you actually need to navigate around, I, I started enjoying those more. I quite liked the fact that there were multiple different races on the same planets, and oftentimes the way it felt like was there was like a big area and that parts of the tracks were blocked off mm. for certain races. So when I was doing the early races, I would see these blocked off tunnels and wonder if, you know, that would be used in a later race. And uh, I found it really cool to, you know, then get to that later race and see that extra bit of the area. Um, it made, I don't know, I don't know if world building is the right term for a game with very little story, but it made them feel more real, sort of. Or maybe, maybe a good way to put it is imagine that there's just one massive map, like a big, yeah. a big location. And what the developers have done is that they've drawn four racetracks through that entire map. And so yeah. sometimes you're going to have a little bit of overlap, but they are four distinct racetracks. The problems basically emerge when there are portions of that racetrack that are uninteresting to go through that are reused. But for the most part, it's quite cool seeing the different variations on the different tracks. There are some planets, like the forest planet, um, Barunda, I think it is, where basically every race is completely different. Mm -hmm. um, like, there's, like, one where you're in... Like, there's one where you kind of see the volcano, and there's one that's entirely in a volcano, and then there's one through this dense brushland where you're, like, plowing through this underbrush that's blocking your vision until you drive through it, uh, and then there's ones on the beach. Uh, some of them have quite a lot of variety. Um, you know, stuff like Mongaza starts you off um, in this pretty normal-looking racetrack. It's pretty boring. And then suddenly you're doing this, you know, huge, you know, marathon of a track through the Spice Mine. Um, so I thought it was really cool to see all these different, like, angles of these same planets. All right, Gems, they're going to put you on the spot. Did you like the, uh, the anti-gravity or low-gravity parts of the race? So... As a kid, those parts were my absolute favorite part of the game. <laughs> um, this time around, my opinion is flip-flop to the other side. Um, I would like them if I... if I, I, I just couldn't figure out how to not crash. They're garbage. Um, <laughs> they were so cool when I was a kid, but... Yeah, I, I feel like I remember not crashing as much through those when I was younger. I, I think the rocks, because there's rocks you have to dodge, I think they're always in a fixed place. So once you understand, exact, once you've memorized where every rock is, you can probably consistently dodge them. But there's one where you basically come around a corner and you have no way of knowing what's coming next. And I would crash into that rock every time, which made me very frustrated. So yeah, those anti-grav bits were no good. Uh, what about what about the shortcuts? Um, how did how did you feel I about the shortcuts? I love the shortcuts in this game. Uh, it's particularly noticeable on um, the ice planet, um, mm. where there's just so many little caves and like there's a shortcut that only opens up. It's right at the start of the race through that little tent, and it only opens up on the second lap of the race. Um, I, I like finding all those. I think um, this ties back into what we were talking when we were talking about difficulty before um once again compared to f0gx if you're doing poorly at a race your only recourse is to get better at doing that race in pod racer not only can you upgrade your pod but you can also kind of do some sleuthing to try and find some of these shortcuts which are going to dramatically increase your ability to complete races and 
I quite like the shortcuts. I think they're very cool. And I feel like they're a more organic way to get faster track times than just, you know, doubling your top speed. And I wish they'd focused more. I mean, I, I, I would have been pretty happy with a change to how you upgrade your pod racer and just have these shortcuts be the primary way in which you can kind of gain ground without increasing your base mechanics yeah i like them a lot like a lot of them are quite well hidden um there's there's also like lots of parts where the track will split into four or five ways at once and you kind of have to figure out which one of those is the quickest um they're not it's not i wouldn't i wouldn't classify them as a shortcut or an optimization uh, yeah like track knowledge Mm. um the game rewards you for learning the tracks um, so you can definitely gain an edge there. They're just fun to find too. Like you can just be like, oh, I wonder what's over there. Hey, look, a shortcut that takes you through, you know, this part of the track that you didn't know existed. It's just fun, right? Yeah, I, th- those those deviations, they add a lot of depth to the track on replays as well because you can try them all out and see which one you like best. Um, some are more difficult, but are slightly faster. So you can make a decision there on what you're feeling if you're in a close race. Um, overall, I, I really like the shortcuts as well, James. I think, um, I think they're a fun inclusion. Um, also on that note, one of the things that stood out to me, and I haven't played much Mario Kart, so maybe this is a similar thing. It felt like there were more obstacles in the environment of, of, uh, of Podracer compared to F-Zero. F-Zero, the tracks tend to be extremely clean. Like it's They're about, opti- sterile, yeah, right? it's about optimizing your way around the race. I felt like a lot of the time, what would happen is there'd be um, there'd be some obstacles in the way, whether they're ice pillars or rocks or anything. And I found it quite a lot of fun, kind of navigating around them. It wasn't obnoxiously difficult, but it made it. It was a it was a nice deviation from perfect in corners. Sometimes you just needed to nudge left or right to not crash. Yeah, I mean. And it just goes back to that thing. These are set in an environment, right? It makes sense Mm. for these things to be here rather than this, like, sterile racetrack. Um, I agree. And there's, like, stuff later on, like, there's the the people that shoot at you. So there's the little fire pillars you have to dodge that usually spawn quite away in front of you so you can see them coming, Mm. but sometimes right in front of you. That's on the last Um, track of the third course, right? Where you're returning to Tatooine. Yeah, yeah, where you do the the track from the movie, basically. Yeah, yeah that mechanic is in another map as well. Uh, it, that's right before that shortcut I was talking about on that other map. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think the maps are fun. Like, they're fun visually. Like, there's always something going on. Like, even in those anti-grav tunnel bits, I really like that bit where you pass, like, by that little tractor beam thing. Um, or... Um, in the spice mines where you can go like through the under those digging machines that are like driving through the area Mm. um there's just stuff going on every part of the race i don't know i feel like every part of the track is there for a reason um and is fun in its own way yeah i i will hit back a bit and say that i think that a few of the earlier tracks were overly long and not super interesting i think that as the game goes on and it ramps up the difficulty a bit it's better but personally at least for most of those first two courses i could literally hold down accelerate most of the time like with without braking or anything and i think that that's probably just a bit too easy for me like you're not 
it's not really testing your ability to to race around even if they are interesting to race around because you can just hold down accelerate and i'm not great at racing games and it need <laughs> i wish it was just a little bit more um demanding of you or at least it ramped up into something more demanding a bit earlier on it was pretty easy for the most part there was one track that i felt was like way harder than all the others in the game um and that was abyss oh that's uh, the one where the... if you fall down you're stuck on the lower level yeah you yeah, may yeah. as well just restart the race yeah. like if you fall yeah if you're winning by miles and you fall down to the lower level um even on the third lap just restart like I mean, that's just bad design, honestly. The fact that it punishes one mistake so badly. Oh, we, we should, we should uh, listen, let's, let's go to a um, music break and then we'll start getting into the, the nitty-gritty of actually racing a pod racer. Sure, why not? Um... So um, I'm going to pick the music. So James and I, uh, we had an issue. We, we went looking for the soundtrack to this game and we can't find it. And what we think has happened is that it just uses the licensed episode one soundtrack. So, but it doesn't have all the tracks on that. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pick Jewel of the Fates because, you know, that's my favorite song from Star Wars episode one. And um, I picked it before James did. So here's, uh, here's Jewel of the Fates.
That was some very original song <laughs> choice by Patrick. <laughs> How, do you do you like Star Wars music, James, or the the way the music was used in this game? Yeah, I do. I thought that though. I liked when it kicked in on the third lap. I thought it was good. I thought there's basically no like well, on the version I was playing. There was basically no music, so you know I was pretty whatever about it. I I, I really enjoyed most of the sound effects. Um, and I rewatched the pod race scene tonight before we started recording. Me too. And like ev- every single, every single sound effect from the game is just ripped out of the, out of the scene. Like the boost sound is re- like, I kept hearing the boost sound in the movie scene and being like, that's from pod race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, in the abstracts, the music from Star Wars is great. Now I'm one of those people who thinks episode one is garbage and, um, I, I understand that there's a vocal community of people on prequel memes and everything who say the movie is good, but that was it was originally just in pure irony because the movie's really bad. Uh, but you can't deny that the music is phenomenal. I do think on the Switch version that when it's playing for eight minutes straight and the orchestral pieces are good and very intense, it just gets a little too much though. So honestly, I think I would have preferred if it just kicked in at the third lap. Um, great music. I think it's overused in the Switch version. Can I just say that I'm one of those people that thinks episode one's just as good as the first three movies, but I don't think the first three movies are as good as other people think. So Yeah, you're, you're crazy. So basically, here, here's how it works. There are two fantastic movies, four and five. There are two decent to good movies episode three and six and then the rest are trash um episode seven is okay but then the rest are really really bad and i've never understood it most of the star wars movies suck and i get that four and five are masterpieces but the rest are bad and if you enjoy episode one and two unironically you should feel bad about yourself because they're really bad movies i think five is a very overrated movie to be honest i think darth vader's character is terrible um like he's got a really cool design but some of the like the things that happen in four and five just make no sense five is incredible Uh, five is the best star wars movie by far yeah there's this giant robot thing that they trip up with a little line (laughs) that comes your fucking car tow truck line uh uh it's just, but it's a, it's a good spectacle movie. Everything's complete nonsense, though. Yeah, honestly, it's this isn't a hill I really want to die on because I'm more of yeah. a Star <laughs> Trek um, person rather than Star Wars. I think they're enjoyable action movies, and the soundtracks are phenomenal across um, at least the first six. I don't haven't really listened to much of the OST of the later ones, but uh, yeah, I enjoyed the music. I think that listening to it nonstop for hours was probably a mistake, though. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean. I didn't have to listen to it nonstop, <laughs> so it was fine. Okay, uh, so let's talk a little bit about the nitty gritty of actually racing your pod racer and the mechanics that you're using throughout. So, where do you want to start, James? Is there a particular thing you want to talk about? Well, let's start with the controls because something mm. that struck me while playing the game was just how natural they feel. Um, they're very simple um, for the most part. Like, um, this is by far the simplest implementation of a boost system that i've seen for what you have to do like as a kid when i played racing games 
Um, and it's a bit weird because this is probably my first racing game. Before I, like, before I even knew that, like, I always thought that if you pushed forward on the analog stick, it should make you go faster. And this is, like, the only game where that actually works, right? So I'll let you finish, but basically I struggled a lot with the controls, at least at first. Yeah, it's kind of hard for me because I, like, they're so instinctive to me by now. Okay, so yeah, for for me, I had no idea how to control this game at first, and I had to l- figure out how to do it. So you accelerate with right trigger, that's that's easy enough. But in order to boost, you need to hold up on the left analog trigger, which fills up a bar, and when that bar is full, you can then press another button to boost. And, and it's weird that you say, like, once once I'd learned how to do it, it was easy enough but it's not as simple as just pressing a boost button, James. Like, I think saying it's simple is is not quite true. Well, it doesn't even have a... It's got... Okay, so usually in most racing games, you have accelerate and boost, and they're on separate buttons. Yeah. In this game, they're just the same button. Isn't that simpler? Uh, it wasn't the same button for me. It was accelerate oh, with right trigger, not? and then I pressed another button to boost. So what I would do is I'd hold... Oh. You, you hold up on the left... So the idea is that by default, the little thing in the corner is green. Then you press up on the trigger and it will start charging up to um, up to yellow. Uh, it'll start charging while yellow. And then when that bar is full, you can then press the boost button. So I'm guessing in the Nintendo 64 version, you just press up and it just auto-boosts. No, so what happens is you're holding the accelerate button. Which is... and. Th- which is just A. A um, is accelerate, or, okay. Or X, like A on a Nintendo 64, or just yeah. the X button on a Sony controller. Yeah. Um, and then, like, you've got your speedometer on the side of the screen, yeah. and if you push forward, you go a bit faster, and if you pull back on the stick, you go a bit slower. Um, so if you push forward, then the speed gauge will rise, and once it gets to maximum, you... It you know it flashes and then it what you do is you just you let go and quickly press the accelerator again and it boosts. Oh, so you just release and press again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so the way it works on the switch is you press forward and then when you're ready because you can leave it kind of fully charged and primed as long as you don't, I guess, lose speed by turning too much or crash into anything. And when you're ready, mm. you can boost. So it's kind of like you prime it, then you go. So yeah. that was, uh, yeah, it, it sounds like it was more intuitive in your control scheme, or maybe you're just used to it, because it was it was fine to use and interesting to use once uh, once I got the hang of it, but it, I had to look it up because it was too complicated for me to understand. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I found a bit tricky was uh, I didn't know how to get extra height on my jumps or get over caps. Uh, yeah, you pull backwards, right? Yeah, you pull backwards. But at, I was like, do I just need more speed? Is this designed for when I come back to it later and I'm going faster? But no, you yeah, because Yeah, because when you're in the air, the stick adjusts the lean. But so if you like lean back, you scoop more air was how I felt about it and go like you maintain the air a bit longer yeah i don't know i just know that i guess yeah so what this all adds up to me is that i actually quite like the control scheme and i quite enjoyed it it feels a bit more um tactile than a lot of other racing games because of the 
the movements you do, particularly with the boost. But it's not, I wouldn't say it's simple or necessarily even intuitive. I think that you do need to learn how to do these by rows. And then once you've learned it, you're you're in a good spot. Yeah, and the boost feels good, right? Like, I love boosting in this game. The sound effect's great. The sense of speed is great. I like that you basically have to be trying to go as straight as possible in order to get it off. So you need to, like, pick your spots to get the boost, but also, like, sometimes even if there is a straight, there might be a sharp turn coming up. So that played into it a bit. Um, something I noticed was that you can't, like, if you're on... I don't understand how this works because the pod races are obviously floating off the ground, but in, like, if you go off the track, you can't maintain top speed. But if you boost um, before you go off-road, you will maintain that boost, so you can use that to, you know, cut corners off tracks if you do it at the right time. So I thought there's, you know, a bit of play there. You have to learn where to do it on the tracks. Um, there is a bit of a... Like, thematically, there's this thing where if you boost too long, your engines will overheat and get set on fire. You just kind of, like, let go of the boost when it's about to explode and nothing bad ever happens, right? Yeah, I, I like the boost system in this game. It, it's got your typical risk-reward system. Um, It's also worth noting that when you're boosting, your maneuverability is dramatically reduced. So you cannot turn left or right at anywhere near the same um, ability as you can before. So you have to, yeah, choose when to boost. And when your engines are cooling down, you can't just immediately boost. They they take a while to cool down. So you need to pick your spots to do it. Um, James, do you think that this kind of system where boosting is unlimited, but it's just... Uh, tracked by, you know, it's kind of internally tracked. It's You've got a meter that's going up and down. Is better or worse than how F-Zero does it, where your boost meter and your, you know, the strength of your car is instead tied to specific areas of the track that you need to go over to charge? Do you think it's better to just have this internal one with this risk-reward system? Or do you think F-Zero kind of encouraging deviations and specific paths through the track over boost pads leads to a more engaging experience. Well, in F-Zero, your boost bar was your health bar yes. and you spent health to boost. So that that was risky, right? Well, you spent um, boost uh, at the cost of... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's interesting, although you kind of just spend most of the tra most of the game having the game beeping the low health. <laughs> yep. <at> <laughs> <laughs> um so I, it, the, the, the different systems, I like them both, to be honest. Like, I, I prefer the boosting in this game because, to me, there's something cathartic about hold, pushing forward on the stick to go faster. Hmm. It just it seems like something silly, like a kid would believe that, but it actually works. So uh, uh, I find that really fun. Overall, I felt like the Pod Racer boost felt more, like more freeform. Like, I could boost yeah. when I wanted, whereas F-Zero, I remember as I do tracks over and over again, I kind of developed strategies to boost in specific stretches because the way that game works is very much about optimizing your routing. So you need, you really need to use all of your boost before you, or almost all your boost before you get to the next boost track. So you had to plan out a way to use it 
effectively each and every way round. With Podracer, I very much felt like I was boosting whenever I could get away with it and I could organically take risks. So as I grew to know the track better, I would start boosting in different sections and playing riskier and riskier and inevitably getting mad at myself when uh, I crash like an idiot when it was completely unnecessary to do so. Yeah, I like that as you get better, you can effectively boost more and more and more um, as you learn where to do it, and that feels good. Um, F-Zero, there is an art to figure, like, you know, track knowledge and that kind of thing, but I feel like with track knowledge like that, it's like once you kind of figure it out, that's it, whereas here I think you can just keep getting better. So uh, I think overall it probably just feels better in Podracer, but I think there's something to be said to the way F-Zero does it as well, mm. though. Did you enjoy being able to respawn? Because maybe yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe this is just something that's... So, so the way F-Zero GX Grand Prix structure is set up is that you have, you know, three lives. And if you lose a life, you immediately come last in that race. And if you lose all your lives, it's game over and you need to start again. And I've only just realized that this is a very unusual system and most racing games have this feature where if you die, you just get to respawn and you lose five seconds of time. Yeah, I I really liked something that I noticed and I think this works with the the stat upgrade system about the respawn is so when you crash and you crash, you know, relatively often or you get set on fire, something like that, um, you're you know, you'll spend a couple of seconds off the track and then you'll respawn and start going again. Because this is like a fixed interval of like three seconds or something um, between respawning, what this kind of means is that in the earlier levels, if you crash, it basically doesn't matter because in that three second gap, the other races won't, you know, travel that far. Mm -hmm. But once you're playing with high powered pod races in the later missions, Three seconds is a lot of time, and oftentimes a crash will lose you, you know, place in first. Well, that's a good point, actually. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's a good thing, right? Like, the game gets more punishing as it goes on. Hmm. But I like that it gets you back into the thick of it very quickly. Um, And I think it's a fair punishment, right? Yeah, it's a reasonable punishment. (laughs) Yeah. It's probably not... It's probably, like... It, it it could be harsher, honestly. How I I know this is more the meta thing, but how did you like the idea of it giving you? Because the way it's set out in in this game, you kind of just treat each track as its own thing, and you get unlimited tries against it with it. With F Zero, you were stuck in this Grand Prix structure. I'm ignoring the story mode; that was bullshit. But in the Grand Prix structure, <laughs> you were stuck in. You know, you had to complete five races I, in a row. I much preferred this, honestly. It felt more relaxed to play. Like, I yeah. could just pick it up and play the race I was up to. No need to worry about doing these races I was already good at over and over again, which would have added a lot of time to the playthrough, right? Yeah, and some of these tracks are quite long. So you'd play for six minutes and then fuck up and then have to start again, or at least I, it again. I had to a few times. I, I'm I'm sure I had a few more difficulties getting through this than you did, James. It took me so long to get through that map I mentioned before, the Abyss one. Mm. I could not get a hang of that first turn for so long. 
Basically, the way I feel about it now is that when I'm coming up to that turn, I almost come to a stop and then, like, <laughs> tap the... I basically tap the accelerator yep. around that corner. Yeah, I, like, I'm it, probably not that drastic because I was just spamming restart, but yes, you just had to... Yeah, it was, it's bad design. That, that map is awful. Like, it's really... It's really bad. It's only saving grace is it's like the is it the second last track or the third last track? It's like the third last yeah. track in the yeah. It's got that like little shortcut in that wall that's really hard to get. I liked that. I thought it was like that it's like a risky shortcut. I don't think any of the other shortcuts in the game are risky like that one is, because I feel like it's so easy to smash into the wall <laughs> instead of go through it. And then and if you smash into the wall, the game puts you on the slow path too, so it's like you lose even more time. Um, and I kind of liked that, honestly. Uh, other than that bit at the start with the high-low bit, I like the track. Hmm. But it's it's really rough. But I think it's fair that there's like a one complete, you know, awful track well, just to mess with you. Yeah, I, I think I, I would say most of the tracks are good. I, and like I said, I just wish that a few of the earlier tracks were a bit harder. But I, I really like the first uh, track from the tier four, four ones. It felt really challenging. It took me a long time to beat that. But when I did, I was very satisfied. Yeah, it was good. I do think they get a bit long near the end of the third tier. Um, one of the the one through the jungle that takes like nine minutes or something. Um, I kept failing. I kept losing like right at the end, um, and having to do the whole thing again takes so long. Yeah, they they almost become endurance races. Like you're you're basically yeah. racing to not die. Like that's what it becomes about. It's like, can I get through this whole race without crashing? And um, yeah, easier said than done. But y you get there eventually. I, I wouldn't say it's impossibly difficult. To criticize the controls, mm -hmm. um, I do think that they are a bit touchy later on in the game once you get high handling. I feel like just tapping the stick with your thumb is enough to send you you know, quite a distance horizontally. It's very, very surprising to me. Well, it's it's when it's combined with the high speed. Like, I think that if you have... Because I assume you were going like a 1,000 kilometers an hour by the end of the game. Yeah. Yeah, see, yeah. I, I hadn't... Because I didn't optimize my upgrades, you know, I didn't have enough credits for the max speed. So I was more going, I know, seven 800. And I did notice it a bit, but it was still manageable for me. But I, I can see how if you were at max speed with max handling, that, that that would be quite tricky to control. Yeah, I was almost wanting for like, I don't know, the racing game equivalent of Iron Sights, where you have a button that changes the sensitivity of your stick to, you know what I mean? Oh, right, um, yeah. Where you could move it like a lot to move a little if you held down a button, but it, it's fine mostly overall. Um, talking about the upgrades again... Mm. Um, how much did you game the system with the junkyard? Well, because well, this game has two shops. Do you mean like junkyard has cheaper parts, so you repair them? Yeah. So what you can do, so there's two ways to buy parts in this game. You can buy them straight from the store at full price, or you can buy damaged parts from the junkyard. Now, every race, um, I think parts get damaged. I'm not too sure how the damage works, but I found that often parts would get super damaged by the end of races. But if you had, if you bought pit droids, they would get repaired. So what you could do, if you had an expensive part, 
you could trade the good part in for a junk part and like get money back for that mm -hmm. and then after the next race your droid fixes the part and then you can trade that in for even more so you can basically like make money um yeah, by trading on the junk I, I wasn't smartly. intentionally doing that and like i said even though i got first place in literally every race i was not splitting the stakes so i was no i was nowhere near yeah. gaming the system anywhere <laughs> near to the extent i could have and i still was sailing through it without too much troubles until right at the end so it's clear that i missed out on an opportunity to make this easier for myself <laughs> you must have just easily got through all these early tracks without any problems oh yeah i don't think i lost a race until like probably like a 14th track or something like that um Jeez. No, not the 14th. It'd be after that. It'd be like 16 or something, like midway through the third race. But I played this a lot before, remember? That's so, true, yeah. Um, like, I knew most of these tracks, like, pretty well. Um, how did you feel about unlocking new ships? Um, did you experiment with other ones very much? No, I mean, I, I basically set myself the challenge of finishing the game and getting first place in every track. And once I'd accomplished that, I was ready for a break. So I didn't really engage with any of the um, more, I guess, the the replayability of it at all. Yeah. I Something I really like um, is that when you finish the, the Boonta Classic, the one from the movie, you unlock Sebulba. Um, and he has access to the flame weapons that he has in the movie. Um, which, honestly, this is like, this is the only time in the whole game where I'm disappointed that the races are too easy because you basically very rarely get the opportunity to set another racer on fire because you're going too fast. Like, they never catch up to you. So you just gotta, like, purposely slow down so you can mess with the fire. To get thing. the uh, F Zero experience of battling other yeah. races. Yeah, right? <laughs> battling other races, yeah. Um, but I thought it was, a, like, a fun Easter egg for finishing, like, the the last of the hard tracks yeah no that, that's pretty cool but yeah like i said i just um <laughs> i'd played a lot of pod racer at this point so i was like yep i'll come back to this in a few years probably but for now i'm i'm satisfied with the experience how long did it take you i think i did beat it in like two sittings because i was i was playing pod racer while i was watching the dota like semi-finals so i basically like i feel like i beat the first like 16 tracks in one sitting um and then came back to it like a couple days it's, later for the rest it's like hard to say because i got through the earlier part so easily and then so quickly yeah, and then <laughs> and then i slowed down i guess somewhere between five to seven hours but that's that's a pretty that's like that's a guess. pushing it yeah I, I i don't know exactly so somewhere in that that realm it's not a super long game if you're just playing through it once um, but obviously you can try with different trace with different races. And like I said, it, with racing games, they're secretly all time trial games when you get yeah. to a certain point, because you beat the challenge, the game sets you, but you can always go faster. So you put in the amount of time into this game that you feel you want to put into it. So it takes about five to seven hours to beat the, you know, to beat a tournament. But after that, the world's your oyster. Yeah, and I'd beat this game like start of the week or something. And it's now, you know, Saturday. Um, 
And when I was like trying to write my notes, I booted up the game um, and I was like, I'll just play one track while I <laughs> write my notes. And then that turned into like five tracks. So I got very distracted playing it again. So um, I think it's really fun, to be honest. Like, even though it's quite easy, I love the track design in this game. I love the shortcuts. I love the visual design. You know, even though graphically I think it's quite dated at this point, there's lots of awful textures, but you're going so fast you can barely tell. Um, I think that the like the Star Wars visual direction really shines through in a lot of them and it makes it like, you know, pretty good time. So let's um you mentioned the graphics, because I think that there is a gameplay concern with graphics on one set of levels. And that's the nighttime levels. I, I don't know how you felt about the nighttime level, James, but I had some serious visual clarity issues and visibility issues with this. Um, uh, f- I did not have that. Well, the fog of war is pretty generous, but there were times when on some of those nighttime levels, particularly when I was going through some of the tunnel shortcuts, that that I wouldn't be able to see the like where the corners were with my eyes. And it was only by dying many times and studying the map and I guess learning these corners by rote that I was able to get through them successfully. Um, and, you know, I was just playing on the Switch. I wasn't playing on the big screen. But um, it was very frustrating for me on those maps on the Switch. It's probably much better on full screen on a computer. That thought didn't even occur to me, like, once while playing the game. I never had that problem. Yeah, it it was the, I, you know, it's the set of nighttime races, you know, on, like, the, I don't know, with the green um, gas. And... Malastare? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so for me, that was that was an issue, and I didn't enjoy those tracks simply because I couldn't clearly see every other race no no visibility issues at all but those ones they were an issue for me on the switch i wonder if it is an issue with the switch version to be honest maybe that's the case it it Um, might just be it's a small screen right like if you're playing on a on your full lcd screen then you're going to have a lot more detail and you know maybe it was the glare from the light or whatever but yeah it was it was an issue for me yeah, upscaled on a 2K monitor. It was pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, James, um, <laughs> uh, do you have any other notes or do you think we're ready to move on to final impressions? Did you ever use the the sideways, the turn sideways mechanic, Patrick? Once in the very, f- well, you know, in the in the Boonta race. And then I literally never use it again. I, you don't need to use it again. And in fact, the one or two times I did try to use it, um, it got me killed. So I'm like, I'm not doing that anymore. When I was I was watching speedruns today, they were using it like nonstop. Um, what does it do? Does some... it make you take corners easier or something? Yeah, because you're narrower, you can take corners like closer to the edge, and if you swing out by mistake, because your right side is up, it doesn't hit the wall. You've got a bit of extra room to move right like to slide out onto the outside of the track as you're going around a corner. That makes um, sense. So did, did you start yeah. trying it or was it too difficult to execute and practice? I, I did try it a little bit. It, it felt the way my controller was mapped because um, I had from playing Star Fox 64 last week, I had the C buttons um, on the right analog stick, which didn't really work with having accelerate on a face button. So mm. it wasn't working very well for me. 
Um, yeah, I'd, I'd I, say I, that's mostly a speed running thing. I don't think it's necessary, and it's rarely useful. That the game doesn't just doesn't challenge you with tiny gaps like that and forces you. It's to got use a it. few. Yeah, but you you can just fit through fine. Like you just yeah, you just you can. can. It's not like it demands you use it or you're gonna die. Except for the, you know the Boonta races, then then it is correct to use it there. But apart from that, really, just you can fit through the gaps fine. Yeah. All right. Let's let's move on to final impressions, Patrick. How did you feel about Star Wars ep- Pod Racer? <laughs> Star Wars episode. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Star Wars Pod Racer is a good game. Um, but I think coming into it, you need to, I guess, understand the nature of the challenge that it's presenting. I think it's a fantastic game for someone new to racing games, and I think that if I'd done this before F0GX, I would have appreciated all these aids, like the upgrade system and the shortcuts, um, as ways to, I guess, get through these challenges. But if you're an experienced experienced racing game player if you if you really crave the difficulty and putting your skill to the test you'll probably bounce off pod racer at first like you'll find that it's too easy um and there are too many ways to mitigate the difficulty of the game by you know just purchasing a part but if we go one step further and we say that every single racing game is ultimately just a time trial game I think Star Wars Pod Racer will satisfy both, you know, the hardcore purists and and newcomers because while the challenge it presents to you isn't that difficult, the skill cap on this game and the speed running cap on this game is still very high. I uh, I wish you'd pick this one before F Zero James because <laughs> unfortunately it can't I can't help but have it live in that sh- in the shadow of that game. And even though I said I didn't recommend it at the time in which I played it, it is a game that speaks to me with its design philosophy. So. I think F Zero GX. If you're a hardcore racing fan, you're going to enjoy that more than Pod Racer. Um, but Pod Racer is perfect for for new players. It really is, and I think that even experienced racing fans, there's there's a lot to like here. I actually, you know, I looked up a lot of the F Zero tracks again um, when I was doing my notes. So I also think Pod Racer is a great game, and I think Pod Racer has better track design than F Zero GX does. Um, I think Pod Racer probably has some of my favorite tracks um, in a racing game that I've played. There aren't they aren't all winners. Like I think there is a lot of boring ones early on, but towards the mid game and the end game, I think there's some really well designed tracks with lots of great, interesting shortcuts. Particularly the the ice levels I, in the snowy planet. I think they're just littered with little shortcuts and optimizations to make and they're just really fun to race through even something simple as you know there's that bit with the ice you know the frozen lake um that you slip over even though that doesn't make sense that was not fun so that doesn't count (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't count and the huge jump after that um i think all the tracks are really fun i i love this game um and i completely you know i agree this is a great game for people who haven't played a high-speed racer before but would like to. I think this is a brilliant starting point. Um, I pr- honestly, after all the discussion we've had, I'd probably recommend playing like the emulated version over the Switch version. It sounds like there's some visibility issues. 
Um, but I, I think um, other than that, it's a fantastic game to play. Yeah, I think what Podracer does is that it makes the tracks themselves more interesting than F-Zero GX. But F-Zero GX, I feel like it, you know, like you will crash if you don't take a corner perfectly a lot in that game. Like it, it will it will kill you ruthlessly a lot. Uh, like I remember... Um, I, I remember tracks like the half pipe level. I mean, the half pipe level on F Zero GX yeah. is like we've removed the railings, and if you go off the edge, you die. Game over. And it like is a half pipe track that you know has a few curves, and it intrinsically is interesting as uh, Pod Racer. Absolutely not. But there's a lot of tension in risk in every single jump you take on that map. Because one wrong move and you just get eliminated. Podrace yeah. is more forgiving, uh, even if it's more interesting. Uh, so they're going to they're going to engage you in different ways. F Zero engages you because you feel. I, I, when I was playing that game, my eyes were glued to the screen and I was super involved in each and every turn I made. In Podrace, a lot of the time I was lazily sliding around, it, but the. But the tracks themselves and the thing features on the track, I have to say, were more interesting. I think it comes down to how inclined you're going to be to push yourself to go for good times and good like lap records um, mm. in Pod Racer. Because I think once you get to that point, the game becomes really enjoyable. And like near the end of the game, when I was trying to boost at like every available opportunity and take every corner as tight as possible, I was having like a lot of fun, even though you know I was miles ahead. Um, of the person in second place so yeah as long as long as you can put that on yourself uh as long as you can set your own you know challenge and pressure to complete the races as fast as you can i i think it's fantastic but if you need yeah. that external pressure to motivate you then f-zero gx is going to be better i mean they're both great games you just play both right? <laughs> play pod racer <laughs> first <laughs> yeah, yeah i i agree with yeah. that yeah Okay, uh, well, I think that about wraps it up. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to us talk about Star Wars Podracer. Um, I'm Patrick Arthur, and I was joined by James Turlings as we discussed this game. Um, we are the Retrospectors Podcast, and you can find all of our content on our website, which is rspodcast.net. That's got links to all of our episodes, all 73, um, a bunch of articles that James and I have written, and it's got links to all of our social media stuff, Twitter, etc., the most important of those, of course, is our Discord server. Um, James and I love talking about games, whether they're old or new, and we'd love to hear what you think, um, whether you've got a game recommendation or if you think uh, we're wrong in assigning these games, these uh, high-speed racing games, so much value. If you think that uh, F-Zero, the original one, is a one worth playing, I'd love to hear it because I do want to revisit another f-zero game but i'm unsure which one is best so if you know anything about those games i'd love to hear it so please drop by a discord server we'll uh, pop a link in the show notes as well so james i was the one who picked star wars episode one racer slash pod racer surprisingly considering i was... actually forgot yeah i know <laughs> like right today I, was, today I was like i wonder what patrick's gonna pick next week at like <laughs> 5 p.m and i was like oh fuck i have to decide on what game to play ha have you decided I had two weeks to decide, and I only knew I needed to pick one today. 
Um, yeah, I did. I went through, I've got a list of games. So in emergencies where I forget like this, I can just pick one out of a hat um, because they're all games that I want to play. So the one we're going to go with um, next Fortnite is going to be Jet Set Radio. Ooh, th this is one, like, I'm actually pretty in the blind about this one. I know that there is graffiti involved, but that's about There's it. There's graffiti and, like, parkour and skating and music. Yeah, it, it's just, it's just, uh, what's it called? Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Underground 2? Was that the, was that the spray painting one? Uh... I think so. I, I rented that game from Blockbuster when I was very young. I'm, so I'm sure it'll. I mean, if nothing else, it looks more interesting. So I'm I'm excited to see what exactly it's like because uh, yeah, I'm pretty much in the blind about it. Yeah, because I, I I always see it all over the place, and I love the style it's going for. Um, but I'm very also very in the dark about the gameplay. But I've had it recommended to me about you know a couple times by several different people now. So maybe it's a first-person shooter. <laughs> it could be. I don't think that's the case, Patrick. <laughs> I I can always have my hopes up, James. <laughs> Um, I guess one one final note before we um, before we wrap up. Um, if you haven't heard, James and I are going to be appearing on the Retro Asylum podcast um, in the next two to three weeks. We've been playing through Fallout Two. Uh, we had Chris from Retro Asylum on for uh, for our Fallout One episode, and we're going to be going over onto their pod for Fallout Two. So you should check out that podcast and monitor us appearing over there because I'm sure it'll be a bunch of fun and probably you know six hours long <laughs> while we uh, <laughs> or we talk all because Fallout Two is a long game. There's so much to talk it's about. A very long yeah, game. And, yeah, and I'm really excited. Like I think that um, I I really like doing these sequel episodes because you don't just get to talk about the game itself you get to talk about what's changed and shifted and improved and gotten worse so um yeah i'm pretty keen for it yeah i it's interesting to me because we were all pretty low on fallout one to be honest um when we did that episode for our show um so i'm very interested to see how perspectives have changed um based on you know, what I've seen change from Fallout 1 to Fallout 2. We basically all um, agreed that the combat was pretty bad, to be honest. Um, and it's funny, I don't think it's changed, but I'm enjoying it more because my character is better at it. So. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I you, wonder if... <laughs> you, you and Chris had particularly awful experiences. I'm actually enjoying the combat more um, with an unarmed character than a gun character, which is ridiculous. But um, yeah, it's, it's quite fun using Kung Fu to dispose of my enemies. I'm enjoying having more than three action points this time. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so yeah, that about does it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks for Jet Set Radio.